All right. Well, um, excited to um, continue in um, Scripture this morning, and um, if you've, um, we're continuing in week two. Okay, let me back up. We're doing a series through the Book of Corinthians right now. Today is the second week we're talking about the idea of generosity. All right. So again, as you're watching online, please ask questions, interact, say amen, whatever you feel like doing. But I'll ask this question. And so if you're watching online, you can comment. If you're in the room, you can like tell someone or tell someone afterwards. But what is one of the best gifts that you've ever given or maybe like the best gift you've ever received? We think about generosity and giving. So let us know. What's a gift that you're like, man, that was awesome to give that gift, or that was awesome to get that gift. All right, so you can kind of comment, interact, let us know. But we're continuing in our series in Corinthians with a series called Imperfect Church and Perfect Savior. So we're in week three of the series. What we're going to do as we go through the two letters or two books of Corinthians, we're going to jump around a bit as we highlight some of the major topics and themes taking place in the letters to the church in Corinth. So we won't go in order, but we're going to take, go through topics, right? So as we think about this like imperfect church, raise your hand if you know that you are imperfect, right? Obviously, my hand is up. Probably should all raise our hands you know, but that's just reality. We know that we are imperfect. The church at Corinth was imperfect, and our only hope is a perfect Savior. Our only hope is Jesus. For us, it's true for the, it was true for the church in Corinth as well. They were broken and messed up, and their hope was Jesus. So as we go through this series, I encourage you to take time and read through First and Second Corinthians with us and read and learn and immerse yourself in it and study as we go through and learn in First and Second Corinthians. And not just learn, but see how it transforms and shapes our lives. All right, this morning, if you've got a Bible, you can go to Second Corinthians chapter 9 in the New Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents if you want to, otherwise it'll be on the screen. So as you go to 2 Corinthians 9, remember that 1 and 2 Corinthians were letters written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. Now Paul was a leader in the early church. His life had been completely transformed by Jesus. At one point in time, his like, sole mission was to arrest Christians and try to stop the church from growing. And then Jesus changed his heart and he is now a major key player in seeing the message of Jesus spread all over the Roman world. The city of Corinth was at the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. And like a lot of cities that thrive on trade, Corinth had a reputation. It had a reputation for wild living, for religious pluralism, meaning like worship whatever God you want to worship. Um, they had a, a, a reputation for corruption, all kinds of things. And so just like us today, the Corinthians had to wrestle with what's it look like to follow Jesus, to live out our faith in a culture that really doesn't celebrate that, in a society that lived for pleasure and wealth and self-gratification. How do we follow Jesus in the middle of that? So last week, Dylan preached from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about generosity, and the main idea was true generosity is giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to others, right? As Christians, generosity flows out of the heart that is surrendered to God. That's where it comes from. As we give ourselves to God, we can then give to others. And so today's part two on generosity as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read this for us. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's 15 verses, so track with me, hang in there, and, uh, and then we will talk through it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, 
Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God, for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. God, would you speak to our hearts through your word? God, would you speak and let us listen and let us respond in obedience, that we could be a church that lives generously, that we could be a church that in all that we do, we lift up the name of Jesus. We commit this time to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Parts of this may be familiar to you, like God loves a cheerful giver. Now let's be honest, pastors seem to love this verse, like, hey, let's preach about giving, tell people to give cheerfully, and then more money will come into the church. And I would say that this this verse has been misused and abused in many ways, right? Because money can be a little bit of a touchy topic at times, especially when you get like money and church all combined, right? And and often for good reason, because there are countless stories of how churches have misused money or been obsessed with getting people to give. And maybe you've had that experience. I don't know. You can even look at the history of the church here in Montreal. Like a large reason of why people, many people reject religion is because of the way that money was handled in the church here. And so, good news, right? It's not my goal today just to get you to give more money to the church. It's true. God loves a cheerful giver. But when we look closely at this passage, we're going to see that generosity is not just about giving to the church. It's about caring for needs, and it's about hearts that have experienced the grace of God. And so my desire for us as a church this morning is that we would allow God to form us into a generous church, joyfully and willfully, willingly giving to care for the needs in our church and the needs in our community. One definition I've heard of generosity is this, paying forward 
what God has generously given to us. Think of the ways that God has given to us through Jesus, through blessing us, through his provision, and we can pay for, we give out of what God has given to us. This is generosity. That's what it's all about, that when we think about the love that God has shown us through Jesus, it motivates our hearts to live generously. And church, stinginess, selfishness, these things will cause us to miss out on joining with God in generously loving and blessing others. And this is, there's a problem, right? This is a problem because we're prone to selfishness, to self-preservation, to stinginess, to like closing our fists with what we have. We are prone to that. That's our human sinful nature. And we need Jesus rescuing us from ourselves that we live, rather than tight-fisted, we live with generosity because of Jesus. Sometimes it's important when we're looking at Scripture to kind of step back and say, okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's in the Bible, obviously it's important. Why does this matter? How does this matter for us this morning? Well, it matters because it's in Scripture, first of all. But it matters to us this morning because this is the church, this is a picture of the church being the church so that God is glorified. You've got the church in Corinth helping care for the church in Jerusalem, and God is honored and worshiped because of it. So the point in Paul writing about generosity to the Corinthians was because their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem were in desperate need. And Paul desired to see the church providing for each other. And through that, God being glorified as the watching world saw the love of these followers of Jesus, the love they had for each other. Remember, we think about Corinth and the church at the time and other churches and the church in Jerusalem and others. This was a diverse and mismatched group of people who are now finding unity through Jesus. This is such a needed reminder and a beautiful picture of the church. We're not talking about generosity just for the sake of generosity. We're talking about it so that God is made known through the way that the church loves and cares for people. Main idea this morning is this. This will be on the screen. Cheerful generosity results in abundant grace and reveals the work of Jesus in the church. Cheerful generosity results in abundant grace and reveals the work of Jesus in the church. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. This is kind of the setup for what's going on here, right? So verses 1 through 5, Paul is saying, hey, it's superfluous for me. That's a great word, right? You can say that and practice that when you go home, superfluous. He's like, I don't have to tell you this again, right? It's extra. But if you go back to chapter 8, we learn that the church in Jerusalem was in great need. Jerusalem had been impoverished through famine during the last 10 or so years. And so they were literally just hungry and had nothing And they were going hungry and in need. And so Paul has asked these churches in these other places to give to the church in Jerusalem during their current struggle. So the collection was both, it was an act of charity, but it was also a symbol of unity between the Gentiles and the Jews in the church. So we learn from this passage that the Corinthians, they were aware of this need. And you can go back to 1 Corinthians 16 and see where Paul asked in the first place and said, hey, please prepare a gift to give to the church in Jerusalem. So he's coming back and, they, and they've promised to give. And so Paul's coming back and reminding them like, hey, this is what you said you would do. I'm reminding you of this, right? So in the first century, one commentary I read said this, that the city of Corinth was renowned for its prosperity. 
Some believers in the church were not wealthy, but overall the church as a whole possessed more than the other churches. And so Paul wants to ensure that they give with the right attitude and motivation. And so he's in verses 1 through 5 here, he's telling them, I'm sending some people to you to help organize this gift and to remove any sense of compulsion, remove any sense of you have to do this. So the Corinthians, they'd promised a generous gift. And so Paul's reminding them, he sent people ahead to help get them ready. And it shows us, as Paul, Paul says, I've been talking about you. I've been boasting about you. He's been talking them up. So Paul wants to avoid the shame and embarrassment of them not doing what they have said. Now, this, is, this goes far beyond Paul just being like, guys, don't embarrass me. That's not what he's saying. Like, it's a little bit deeper than that. This was a collective culture. We're an individualistic culture. This was a very collective culture where honor and shame were very, very important and mattered. And so Paul is coming through because of his care for them and saying, like, hey, I want to protect you. I want to guard you. Right? Have you ever had that experience where you've had friends, like, from different friend groups and you tried to, like, be like, oh, you've got to meet so-and-so. He's really funny. Are you really? And then you, they meet and it's just, like, super awkward and doesn't work. Right? It's a little bit of what Paul, Paul's like saying, like, hey, I'm just making sure this isn't awkward, but it is deeper than that. Paul's protecting them and guarding them in this honor and shame. He's like, hey, I've been boasting about you. I've been telling people how great you are. And he's saying, like, now I want to help you follow through on that so that everyone is seeing the way that God is at work. So Paul is seeking to help guard and protect the church. In verse 5, it tells us he, he, he wants them to be ready. So that when they arrive to collect the gift, it doesn't feel like a shakedown. He, does it, he wants it to be a willing gift, and he says not an exaction, meaning like demanding money from them. So Paul's being very gracious as he teaches them and guides them here and saying, hey, here's the gift you promised. Let's help do this together because I know you want to. I've told people you want to, and I'll help you follow through on that. So cheerful, as we, as this is kind of the verses 1 through 5, the setup here, that Paul's saying, hey, you, you've said you'd give, now I want to help you give. And the rest of this chapter, Paul is discipling them. He's teaching and instructing them what giving looks like. And in essence, he's telling them cheerful generosity results in abundant grace and reveals the work of Jesus in the church. So what does this look like in our lives? What is it for us? How does this come down? So Paul, through the, in verses 6 through 14, Paul gives us four principles of generosity, and then he gives us four results of generosity. And if you're doing the math and adding, yes, that is eight points. I do have eight points this morning, but don't worry. I'm going to try to move through them at a pretty good clip, all right? So these apply first to us as a church. Remember, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. So this applies to us as a body of believers first, and then secondarily applies to us as individuals, these principles of giving. Four principles of generosity. The first one is this, give generously. Pretty straightforward, right? Verse 6, we have this principle of sowing and reaping. And Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This idea comes from farming, right? If you plant a lot of seeds, meaning bountifully, you have the possibility of more crops. If you plant little or nothing or sparingly, you can't expect much to come from it. And so this word bountifully here also means generously. It implies the abundance and the liberality of the gifts, right? If you've ever seen Oprah, she liberally gives. Like, you can have a car, and you can have a toaster, and you can have this, and you can have that. Like, it's this idea of this just like giving in abundance and liberally giving. Now, 
This is what Paul's telling them, like give bountifully, give generously. And this is more than just money, right? It's time. Paul, that's the immediate context here. Paul's talking about giving money. But we think about this generosity that we can live by giving our time. We can give the way we serve, our gifts, our talents, our prayers, our encouragement. We are to live and give generously. And this is the principle of generosity that we reap or gather according to what we plant. We reap according to what we sow. Now let me pause here, and this is, I think, a necessary kind of side note. What I'm talking about here, what the Bible is talking about here, is not what's referred to as the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel basically says, if you give generously, then God is going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That is not what it's saying. Because the prosperity gospel is false teaching that twists the truth of Scripture. So last week, Dylan reminded us of this truth, that our giving, like God's grace to us, should be offered without expectation of anything in return. It goes to the question of motives. Our motives matter. That we give, our motive should be to give and just say, God, I freely give, I generously give because you've already given to me. We don't give because we think it will twist God's arm into giving us more. We give because God has already infinitely blessed us. So that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's not saying like, well, you know, it's like, a, it's like this like economic equation. You do this and it's going to grow and you're going to get more money back. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is talking about just living generously and what happens when we live generously. But the principle here still stands. We reap according to what we sow. Generosity results in reaping bountifully, right? And this means far beyond just money, right? We reap so much more. We reap the joy and the experience of being a part of the body of Christ and the blessedness of giving. I love how in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, in the message paraphrase, it says this, the world of the generous gets larger and lar- larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. This is what Paul's pointing to here that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. There is blessing, there is deep blessing and joy when we, as the church, give generously. So Paul's first principle here is give generously. Because in our giving, in our planting, we reap what God is going to do through that. We reap the joy of giving. Secondly, give cheerfully. So verse 7, this is where we see this, and verse 7 is really an instruction, but it also has a principle with it. So the instruction is this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And the principle is this, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, give, not just like what you, like, don't give reluctantly, give cheerfully. Generosity is not a competitive sport where we have to give something to keep up with someone else. No, we give according to how God has blessed us, not because someone has forced us to give. Right? Cheerful givers don't give because they have to. We give because we want to. And there's joy and excitement in giving and being able to be a part of meeting the needs of others around us. So last week, we saw that giving is an overflow of the abundant joy that Jesus fills us with. 
Cheerful giving means that we don't give reluctantly. Why? Because God himself has set this example for us. God cheerfully gave. He gives us salvation. He gives us love. He has sent Jesus and on and on and on. God himself is a cheerful giver. And if we are to be like Jesus, we are to give cheerfully. And we stand back and we say, God, look at all this that you've given me. Wow, I get the opportunity to give to this need. I get the opportunity and there is joy and there is cheerfulness in that and, and, and I would say this, there's a little bit of a warning here that's kind of under the surface. If we have no joy in giving, if our giving is not cheerful, it doesn't mean we're off the hook, right? It doesn't mean like, well, I, not, this is not cheerful for me, so I don't have to give because I'm not supposed to give reluctantly, right? Well, that's not the point. The point is, if there is an issue, it's a heart issue that goes back to we're missing the point of what Jesus has done. We're missing the generosity of God towards us. And we need our heart changed and adjusted so that we can say, oh, I give cheerfully because of what God has blessed us with. So give cheerfully. Third thing, give freely. Verse 9, we see this. In verse, I, when I first was reading this this week, I was like, okay, who is, what's this talking about? It says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I was like, oh, is that talking about God? Who is this he here? And it goes back to Psalm 112. And it's not talking about God. It's talking about what the psalm refers to as the righteous man. So it's giving us this picture. The righteous man freely distributes. He gives to the poor. Generosity is giving freely, living with open hands. All the things that God has blessed us with that we bring before God, God, it's all yours. Let me live generously. And this is the opposite of giving in a way that's limited and reserved and stingy. But there's something important to see here. There's this connection with generosity and righteousness, right? Generosity is evidence of our righteousness, we recently went through the series and talked about abiding and how abiding in Christ produces fruit. Generosity is the fruit of abiding. Generosity is the good works that come from abiding in Jesus. We give freely because of abiding in Christ, because of his righteousness in us. And one of the evidence of salvation in our lives is generosity and being able to give freely to others. You and I can live this way. We can arrange our lives to say, I want to give freely. When I was growing up, I, I mentioned this on our community group call the other night. When I was growing up, our pastor, my pastor would say, have some left pocket money. I guess that meant that he kept his regular money in his right pocket, and his left pocket at that time probably wasn't for a cell phone, so I guess it was for you know, his, what he called his left pocket money. And what he meant was he had money that he kind of set aside to be able to give freely. When a need arises, to give freely. We can live this way. We don't hold on so tightly to what we have with so much fear about giving that we just give freely when the needs arise. Pastor Johnny Hunt said this, this at one time, and, and I think it's so important for us to see when we talk about giving freely. He says, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. And I get it's a little bit of a play on words, but generosity is not about the amount of what you have. Generosity is about our heart. Giving freely is not about, well, I've got a lot of excess so I can give freely. No, it's about our hearts that I can say I give freely with what God has given to me. That generosity is a heart issue, not a bank account issue. 
Fourth principle, so we can give freely. Fourth thing is this, give confidently. We can trust God in our giving. And we see this in verses 8 and 10. I'm going to read these again. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all, sorry, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then verse 10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All right? Sometimes, Giving can come with fear. And I think Paul's addressing that here with the Corinthians, that under the surface, they had a little bit of an attitude of like, yeah, we want to give, but what if, we're, what if we run out? What if we give and then we don't have enough? And so Paul addresses it here. And that's probably, I know what that feels like, and you probably do too. This idea of like, okay, but if I give, what if I end up not having enough? And Paul's answer is, well, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things you will have all that you need. It was for this reason the Corinthian, the Corinthian believers should feel free to give generously to the collection that Paul was asking them to without fear that their own needs will go unmet. In verse 8 there you see that word sufficiency. This word sufficiency, it's this idea of enough or this idea of contentment where Paul is saying, hey, God is going to take care of you. You you can give confidently. You don't have to fear that when you give cheerfully according to the means that God has given you to give, when you do that, God can take care of you and what you have will be sufficient. Verse 10, we see that God is, is the supplier and the source of generosity. That giving is one of the ways that we see God's ongoing provision for us and through us. See that verse, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. It's this idea that if we are the ones sowing and planting, where are we getting our seed from? It's coming from God who is an endless source and supply. And we become the vehicle through which God gives and it never runs out. Maybe you've heard it said that you can't outgive God. That's what verse 10 is telling us. That when we live with generosity, we can give with confidence that God is the one who supplies our needs. There's a pastor named John Piper that said this one time, talking about giving to missions. And he said, God will fill the truck that is driving towards the nations. And I love that. And it applies to generosity as well. Think about it with us as a church. If as a church... God forms us and shapes us, and we, as we interact with the community, as we give to missions, as we serve, as we do all these things, when we are doing that generously and giving and giving of ourselves and our time and our money, my trust is in the Lord that he will keep supplying what we need. That's what Paul's telling them here. God is the one who supplies what you need, so you can give confidently. You don't have to be afraid that being generous will lead to you running out. Now, maybe there's sacrifice, of course. There's sacrifice and generosity, but God says, I can take care of you. Trust me. We can give with confidence because in God, we have a supply that never runs out. So, we give generously, cheerfully, freely, and confidently. Now, go through what are the four results of generosity, and these will be quick, so... Hang with me. If you're online, maybe stretch a little bit, do some jumping jacks, whatever you need to do, stay awake. If you're in the room, I guess you can stretch and do jumping jacks, but it'll be a little awkward, but go ahead, right? So, 
four results of generosity. The first one is this. Generosity results in enriched lives. Verse 11, Paul says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. As a church, generosity enriches our lives. It makes our lives better. And as we've already said, yes, our motives matter. We don't give with the motive of, well, I'm going to give so that my life is better. No, we give freely and cheerfully simply because God has blessed us. But a byproduct of giving is that it brings joy. That generous living makes life better, makes it richer. If you ever made hot chocolate, you get like the powder, you know, and you boil water and you make hot chocolate. It's pretty good, right? But have you ever made it where you like heat up milk, kind of heat up milk slowly and add in the chocolate powder and mix it all up? It's so much better. It's richer. This is the picture Paul is giving us that our lives are enriched and filled with joy when we give. So there's some encouragement here that Paul's saying, hey, don't fear. You can give what you've promised to give because you're going to experience joy and blessing because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's helping them understand this. So generosity results in enriched lives. We could, and maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about, but when we give, there's joy in that. It, it just, there's, there's joy in being able to give and to care for others. Second thing is this, second result. Generosity results in worship. Verses 11, 12, and 13, we get this idea where Paul says, hey, you've given, and the response, the result is thanksgiving to God or glorifying God. We see it in 11, he says, which will produce, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In verse 12, it says, the ministry, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ. Here's the picture. Generosity results in worship. And think about this. The way that we live and give as a church can lead other people to worshiping God, can lead other people to thanking God. I know what this feels like on a personal level. When we think about our church, we, we kind of get the result, the, the, the opposite of this, that we have many people and many churches that give to help support Renaissance. And if you are a partner watching us now or see this, thank you. We really appreciate it. But we have many people that give. And I know that in my life, often, I'm able to say, God, thank you. Thank you for this provision. Because these people are generous and giving, it results in me in thanksgiving and in praise of God. And so think about this privilege that we have as a church, that we give generously and it results in worship. Now, sometimes when that happens within the church, it's, it's kind of immediate and it's amazing to see other people thanking God and worshiping God. But what happens when we give generously in the community, maybe to people who, who currently are they're a little like, oh, I don't really know what I think about this Jesus stuff. They're not believers. And then even then our prayer is, God, let us give generously. And maybe one day we pray that this person would come to a point where they are thanking and worshiping God because they've experienced the love of Jesus in practical ways. And this worship, Paul says it's not, in verse 13 he kind of shows us, it's not just like He's not just talking about just like a, a really like genuine thank you, right? It's deeper. Verse 13 says the gospel is the motivation. He says, 
He says, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from what? From your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. So Paul is telling us the gospel, what Jesus has done, that God sent his own son Jesus to live a sinless life, to die in our place so that we can come and be in relationship with God, not because of what we do or earn, but because of what Jesus has done. This is the gospel. He says, this is the foundation. This is this godly generosity proclaims the gospel and results in worship. So generosity results in worship. Number three, you with me? I know, it's a lot of points today. Okay, Generosity results in needs being met. We see this in verse 12. He says, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing, overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Let's not miss a simple truth here. The church in Jerusalem was in great need. They were hungry. They needed literal food, right? The generosity of the Corinthians would help meet that need. And so one of the reasons that we live generously is because it meets real needs and solves real problems. That God meets needs through us, through his people. This is amazing. Why? Because it shows us something about the heart of God. That God does not forget about the real, daily, practical needs of our lives or the real, daily, practical needs of others. And that in the meeting of physical and practical needs is God's grace in a tangible way. I know that I've experienced this, and many of you in this room or online have experienced this, that someone has given, and it's not just like, oh, wow, thank you, you're so generous. It's, wow, we can eat today. Or, wow, like we weren't going to make it this month, but now we can. This is what generosity is. One of the results of generosity, this practical, tangible grace of God that he uses the church to provide. Fourth and finally, generosity results in deep affection. He's talking about, again, in the context of in the church. And verse, verse 14 tells us, while they long for you and pray for you. He's talking about the church in Jerusalem. That idea of while they long, it implies love. It implies deep affection. Some translations say deep affection there. And what Paul's getting at is here is like, hey, like your generosity creates love and unity in the church. This passage is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles at that time. They were still learning what this all meant because the Jewish people would, it would have been interesting for the Jewish believers to receive help from the Gentiles, right? It's only a work of Jesus that makes this possible because previously, and not even that many years before, the Gentiles were considered unclean for Jewish people. Like they couldn't even enter their homes. And yet now their generosity would not only supply the needs of those in Jerusalem, but would serve as an expression of thanksgiving to God and unite Jewish and Gentile believers. So it creates, when generosity happens in the context of a church, it creates love and unity and deep affection. And think about it practically, right? When there's a need and someone gives, there is trust built, there is love that happens there. And it requires, when, well, it really comes to this, when someone is vulnerable to say, I have a need, whether that's a physical need or a financial need or just like, I'm really struggling this week, I'm really discouraged. When that need, when that vulnerability is expressed, which is really hard to do, I get it. 
But when it's expressed and someone else can come in and meet that need, see what happens there? See the love that comes up and pops up and the deep affection that comes when there's vulnerability and someone doesn't get shoved away because they're vulnerable? It's imperfect because the church is imperfect, but that's what God does. That's what Jesus does when we are willing to humble ourselves and say, hey, yeah, I have a need. And when that need is met, we experience the grace of God. Cheerful generosity results in abundant grace and reveals the work of Jesus in the church. Now, if you've noticed, there's one more verse in chapter 9, verse 15. And this is the motivation for every bit of this. I love how Paul ends this, and he says this, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What's he talking about? Paul's bringing it back to say, hey, this is about Jesus. Jesus is the inexpressible gift that God has given to us. He's talking about Jesus who brought about salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. This is God's generosity to us. And you go back to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 that we read last week and it says, He became poor so that those who believe in him might become rich. The gift of Jesus the indescribable, inexpressible gift that for us to stand back and say, how does this make sense? That the God of the universe loved us enough to send Jesus to rescue us out of our sin, to bring us into relationship with God. This is the indescribable gift. And the gift of Jesus is why we give generously. Another way to say this, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we are broken in our sin, undeserving of any goodness from God. We've rebelled against God. We actually deserve judgment and punishment from God because of our rebellion and sin. And if that was the end of the story, then what are we doing here? And yet it's not. Because God in his love sent his own son and Jesus lived a sinless life and took the weight of our sin upon himself and died on the cross and rose from the dead conquering death. And we now come to God not by clenching our teeth and being better and working harder. We come to God through the free gift of Jesus, through the work that he has accomplished. We give because God gave to us and this is open to you today. So maybe you have been a Christian for a long time, or maybe this is not new to you, but the door is open to you today that you have to be reminded to say, you know what, I've been trying to be good and work all this out and do all this stuff. The door is open to say, I give up. And I trust what Jesus has done, not what I'm doing. Or maybe whether you're here in the room or watching online, maybe this is new and you know in your heart that you have never come to a point where you've said, I have recognized that I'm sinful and I need the grace of Jesus and I need to put my faith in him and what he's done rather than me trying to make it through life and just do my best. There is forgiveness, there is salvation, there is relationship with God that comes through Jesus and that door is open to us today. So we think about generosity. Cheerful generosity results in abundant grace and reveals the work of Jesus in the church. And again, this is not just about giving, not just about generosity. Here's what it's about. My prayer for my life, my prayer for this church is that God would be glorified through us. 
that we could be known as a generous people and that people would see Jesus through us. Let's pray together.